This is James Lorenz, and you're listening to the Walter Paisley Podcast. This is James Lorenz, and you are watching the Walter Paisley Show. No, you're watching Walter Paisley. This is James Lorenz. You are watching the Walter Payton Show, where he breaks the yards uh, record for the Chicago Bears. Oh, no, that's not the This is the Dick Williams program. Beautiful. I'm going to keep all of that. Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, where we strive to be the best kind of terrible influence. Coming to you from Nilbog Manor Studios, our music is by Jonathan Harmon, and I am your host, Dylan Rorig. We are brought to you in part by our new partner sponsor, and we're very happy to welcome them, Can Can Cinema and Brassier, the new nonprofit cinema in the heart of Indianapolis. Be sure to check out their AV Club series, including a monthly cult movie hosted by yours truly. Today's guest is a publisher, editor, writer, and pop culture archivist who has worked at his craft for over four decades. He's a hero of the world of cult film, having founded Psychotronic Magazine from 1980 to 1989. He wrote hundreds of reviews for some of the greatest and many of the most obscure low-budget horror, action, and exploitation films you've probably never seen. He also authored and co-edited the Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film and the Psychotronic Video Guide to Film, both of which are Bibles that I keep close to hand. Over the years, he's worked with or just hung out with some of the most iconic names in music, fringe cinema, and outsider journalism, including Ian Drury, Quentin Tarantino, The Dead Boys, Roger Corman, Drew Friedman, Ricky Jay, Lester Bangs, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Forrest J. Ackerman. He's also worked in radio with his own psychotronic radio show, toured the world with the Psychotronic Movie Tour, and currently runs Psychotronic Augusta, a record and memorabilia shop located in Augusta, Georgia. But more importantly than that, he's hung out with the cramps. Please welcome Michael J. Weldon. I am uh, happy to talk to a cramps fan. Hey, uh, they are they are my favorite band in the world, and. Uh, I, I'm happy to talk to somebody who spent some time with them. <laughs> Welcome, yeah, Michael. I'd, I'd be happy to tell you about the first time I saw him. But uh, yes, thank you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. What was that? Seventy-eight. No, no, oh. seventy. Uh, well, yeah, actually, it was seventy-eight. Okay, yep, it's the first time they played in Cleveland. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I, had, were you familiar with their music at that point, or was it just a band you were going to see at that time? No, no, I was very familiar with them. Um, I was had already been friends with uh, Nick the drummer. Yeah, Nick uh, Who was in a band, a Cleveland band with friends of mine called the Electric Eels. And um, at the time, I was actually going out with his cousin. And I also knew uh, her brother, who was in the group The Pagans. So they were all related. And I was hearing about the cramps you know, before they recorded mm-hmm. and had, and I was working at the Drome record store in Cleveland, which for a while there was like the punk rock store, if you want to call it that. <laughs> and we sold the two, uh, original, uh, cramps 45s. So I, I was already totally into them. Cool. And, um, their first gig in Cleveland was at a 4th of July party at a, a 
partially abandoned mansion on the shore of Lake Erie, and they shared a bill with, uh, let's see, Perubu and the Pagans and a few other acts. Wow. And they actually played on a cliff overlooking the lake, and it was amazing. How cool. Oh, cool. And that, that's when I met the other members of the group. How was that? Um, they they were, like, on stage, I know, just no, notorious. They looked frightening and, and stern. And, uh, you know, Ivy would stand up there with, just with scorn on her face, staring at the audience with nothing right. but disdain. But off stage, you always just hear these stories about two really cool people who love to talk well, music. <laughs> Yeah, they were they were really nice and friendly, and you know I saw them a few other times in in later years. Mm-hmm. And of course they were they were not as um, uh, intimidating, if you want to call it that, at playing during the day outdoors. <laughs> but uh, th- th- on that that same visit to Cleveland, where they were returning because they had lived there before, and people I knew knew them a few years before that, but I didn't. Um, they also played at a small club, and that was more like you would expect them to be. Uh, Lux was like hanging from the rafters, and <laughs> you know. But you know, both of those shows were fantastic. Great! I actually, uh, Grasshopper Films just did a re-release of the Napa State Hospital. Um, they've oh, restored the video of, the- of that. That's one of the best videos of all time. Absolutely. And when they played in Cleveland, they had just returned from doing that gig. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah they um, they just released that uh, along with, uh, is it the Mutants, I think, that played with them along that uh, that way? So it's it's um, got both of those on it. It's got some extras, of course. But I'm just looking forward to seeing a restored version of it. Uh, it really yeah. is one of the most incredible concerts I've ever seen in my life. Um, just Absolutely. and the legends behind it, uh, where, what was it? I think, I think like a lot of the patient population were confused with the, uh, cramps fans that showed up. So they just walked out with them and then ended up back at the hospital at dinner time. So <laughs> okay. the staff, the staff wasn't too concerned that people left They're like, Oh, they'll be back when it's time to eat. And they did. <laughs> the, 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 the video I had of that when it first became available was also with uh crime playing at a prison. Oh, cool. Okay. Was that also target? I think it was target video who did that. It was target video. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, I could, I could honestly talk cramps for hours, but uh, we've got to talk about other things. And normally, okay. listeners, I have to do a lot of digging around to do my research. Uh, Michael is preparing to write a memoir and sent me reams of uh, memories, kind of a chronological uh, memories of his life, uh, really even before you, you were even born. Lots about oh, your yeah. family and, and the the history of your family. It's really pretty fascinating, and you've definitely led a life that I envy in a lot of ways. Um, so going back then a little bit, you were born in 52, and yep. um, you immediately, it looks like in, in reading through this, I see that uh, pop culture pretty much had a had an influence on you pretty early in life. Um, of course. You, you were one of the first to have um, 
you know, you're that generation who had television for the first time and you're seeing things that normally you probably only be able to read about in a newspaper or seeing a newsreel at a movie theater. So as you're coming into all that, what were the things that were grabbing your attention? Well, we didn't get a television set in our family till I was four years old. And I sometimes say that I, I might have a little bit of sanity left because I had a few years without TV. <laughs> but, um, but as soon as we got TV, I was glued to it around the clock if I could get away with it. I mean, I like going outdoors. I like going to see movies in theaters, too. But TV was, you know, the thing. It was always yeah. there. And, you know, it's back when... When families had TV, they'd only have one. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it was a, a battle where, you know, who gets to watch what. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I have very fond memories of back when there were only three stations, and then later on we had six. But um, there were always old, besides the new shows from the 50s, there were always old movies on TV. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, there were always old movies. And when I was a kid, there weren't any movies newer than, like, 1948 that came later. So sometimes I feel like I'm older than I am, because I, I grew up watching cartoons, comedy shorts, and movies, from mostly from the Depression and pre-World War II. So... <laughs> and you know the, the the old media that I was watching really was more memorable than the new television. Yeah, almost always. And it's just incredible the stuff that was on, and you know a lot of that stuff disappeared over time because it was black and white, mm -hmm. or it was getting censored for various reasons. And uh, but uh, and 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 what was new on TV that I liked the most. It was mostly, you know, starring people that had been in radio and vaudeville. So, right, you know, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of old influences. Jack Benny and, um, of course, uh, Lucy and Desi and Bob Hope, those people. Exactly. And Bob yeah. Hope was a, a major hero in Cleveland where he grew yes. up. He, he even was the part owner of the Cleveland Indians that I used to go see. So on the movies that you were watching, was it a lot of, um, cause I, I kind of had the same experience growing up in the seventies and eighties. Um, we never had cable. We only had the, the channels that you got over the air. Um, mm -hmm. so it was Sunday afternoons. Uh, if it was a low, if it was a low tide for sports, uh, you know, it would be Bowery boys or Marx brothers or WC fields. Was it kind of the same happening for you? Um, Okay, Bowery Boys, definitely. There was mm -hmm. a show that uh, that featured the Bowery Boys, but they never showed the earlier ones, the East Side Kids. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I probably saw Dead End when I was a kid mm -hmm. and the Bowery Boys, but I didn't know about all the ones in between until years later. Yeah. Uh, W.C. Fields, kind of interesting to me anyway. They, they would show the 30s movies with W.C. Fields, the ones from Paramount. And yeah, like my favorite was did. Internet. No, no, that's Universal. Was that later. Universal? Okay. Yeah, they, those were never on TV. Uh, I later saw them in revival theaters. Oh, okay. The ones I'm, the ones I saw were almost all from the 1930s, and my absolutely favorite one with W. C. Fields was International House. 
It's such a strange film. (laughs) It's it's hilarious and and totally strange. And I mean, you know, you've got a movie with uh, Bella Lugosi and Mm -hmm. W.C. Fields. And and um, Cab Calloway. Yeah, it in is that movie. packed. It's kind of like an early version of Mad Mad World, where it's just full of all these people. I think there's, isn't Chico and Groucho in that? If I remember, no, right. they're not. They're in not one. in that one. Yeah. I know it's just yeah, the stacked Bro- with people. It was similar with the Marx Brothers, but different. Um, the most famous ones from the '30s that everybody likes now; those were never on TV where I was. The Marx Brothers movies I saw on TV were the ones from the 40s. Oh, yeah. That weren't the MGM good. ones. Yeah, the Paramount yeah, they, ones they took were... longer to come back around. Yeah, so it, just, it was all up to where you grew up and what movie packages the local stations right. you know, had on hand. Yeah, I, just, I actually just talked to Steve Stollier last week, who um, was Groucho's principal archivist uh, toward the end of his life. And uh, we we got into some some real details on Marx Brothers, especially their Paramount stuff, of which I'm I, that's my favorite era is that early Paramount stuff, where they're just yeah, sure. absolute anarchists, and there's no point to anything. It's just watching when, them. When I finally insane. saw I finally saw Duck Soup, it was in a revival theater. Great, and it's like, whoa, why didn't I see this on TV? <laughs> you know. And you mentioned Mad Mad World. I I saw that when it opened at a kitty matinee. So that that okay. was a, a major experience. Yeah, probably, probably the longest comedy movie I sat through when I was oh, a kid. It's so surprisingly long. I kind of forgotten until a couple of years ago. I broke it out to watch again. I'm like, this movie never ends. <laughs> it just <Yeah>. keeps going. <laughs> yeah, I saw some really long movies in theaters as a kid, mm-hmm. mostly with my grandparents that I didn't choose. Right. You know, like How the West Was Won and Lawrence of Arabia. Uh-huh. Those movies went on forever. Yeah. <laughs> I've talked about it before on here, but I remember about age eight, my mom took us to see Giant at a revival house. And mm-hmm. while I didn't I didn't really pick up on anything in the movie, it wasn't that interesting to me. The the scope of it, just that huge scope and the looking at that huge screen and kind of feeling engulfed in southern texas it, it yeah it, it put an imprint on me um oh yeah me too yeah and you know just the fact uh you know dennis hopper and james dean in another movie together mm-hmm. yeah in a movie like lawrence of arabia where it i mean a whole new ratio being used and the talk about scope when you're watching that movie on the big screen i imagine as a child that must have just been overwhelming even if it was may have not been interesting it must have certainly caught your attention yeah it was kind of tedious for me at the time and (laughs) and 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 by and by by then you know what i went out of my way to see was was horror and science fiction movies right you know hammer hammer and toho Mm -hmm. more than anything because they were always playing hammer and toho movies do you remember the first horror movie you saw well if it was on television it wouldn't be a famous horror movie or even a good movie horror movie. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do think about these things and it would would have been a poverty row movie from the thirties, early talkies. Yeah. Uh starring probably uh Zazu Pitts, yes. I believe. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um so it was that kind of stuff. Um really unfamous kind of haunted house comedy mm-hmm. things. 
And and as far as like horror stars, it's kind of odd which things I saw first. Like the the first um, Karloff horror movie I remember seeing was Frankenstein, nineteen seventy. And oh wow! A lot of people hate that movie, but I think I think it's incredible. <laughs> I really enjoy that and, one. <laughs> yeah, me too. And uh, the first the first Legosi movie I remember seeing was Zombies on Broadway. Holy Again, cow! <laughs> not considered one of his best, but that was what was available. You know, I I didn't see the Universal classics till a little bit later. My first uh, Legosi was. Uh... Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn Brooklyn gorilla. Uh, ah, actually, old... you know what? That that could have been mine too, because that movie is like a, a historical footnote as one of the very first movies that ever played on television. Oh, really? It, yeah, it went to it went to television like immediately. <laughs> you know, like movies do now. Nobody else wanted but, it. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. But uh, you know, that movie was. It seemed like it was playing everywhere, you know, at one point, and it was on television. And of course, later on in, in Psychotronic, we we lucked into an interview with Sammy Petrillo. Yes, and he was kind of blown away by the fact that we did a whole feature on him and, and came to our first store to meet me. Oh, really? And, How was uh, that? Yeah, I was. It was fun talking to him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was a character. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I, I really think that. That interview in Psychotronic, it kind of spearheaded the uh, the Sammy cult that's now on the internet. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty fascinating. His just his his whole existence is kind of fascinating. Just this guy who was yeah. a big fan of Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis took him under his wing. Then Jerry Lewis got pissed at him. You know, <laughs> but uh, yeah. he was such a good mimic when i i showed that film uh here i do monthly screenings and mm-hmm. i showed that one once and i didn't tell anyone anything beforehand i just yeah. let him watch it and then afterward i was like wasn't that just like one of the best martin and lewis films you've ever seen and everybody was like yeah yeah i was like well that was not martin and lewis <laughs> like huh? surely you knew that wasn't dean martin but but the sammy petrillo is so good at jerry lewis it's almost indistinguishable in that film I watched a documentary about Martin and Lewis not that long ago, and and before then, I didn't really quite grasp how popular they were. Yeah, you know, their they, nightclub they act were, was famous. They were huge. They were huge in nightclubs, on television, and in movies all at the same time. Yeah, and a, a, according to legend, their nightclub act was the thing to see. That was that blew all their other mediums out of the water. Would have been fun to go back in time and see them in right. Atlantic City. Yes, absolutely. So as you're watching all these movies, you're starting to drink in this culture. At what point did you did you ever did it ever register for you that wow, I'm really just obsessed with this stuff, <laughs> or did it just kind of come over time? Well, probably around the time that. I started buying monster movie magazines, mm-hmm. um, like famous monsters that had already been around yeah. since the late fifties. I started buying it in the early sixties mm-hmm. and around 1963 sort of monster movie revival mania kind of exploded. Yeah. And 
there all of a sudden there was you know castle of frankenstein and fantastic monsters and all these other magazines and i bought all of them i obsessed over them Mm -hmm. i read every word of them and uh you know it I would also start looking for books about old movies. There weren't very many of them back then. And, um, you know, it it all added up. Going to movies on Saturday matinees, going to movies with my uh, mother's family, watching as many as possible on TV and reading about them as Mm -hmm. much as possible. And I I even started around the same time I had an aunt, uh, actually a great aunt, who was a, a cleaning lady at a church office. And they got movie rental catalogs, and they'd throw them away. So she'd give me these movie rental catalogs, Audio Brandon and different companies like that. Yeah. And you know, I would I would obsess over those too because they had all the movies that I wanted to see and couldn't at the time. Plus all the weird foreign movies that I hadn't had an opportunity to right. see yet. Was so, that yeah, were those I, like sixteen millimeter that they would send, or were these? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, and they, you know it would be for nonprofits, and yeah. Uh, so that that was a real good source of information at the time. And I used I used to go to the Lakewood uh, Public Library mm-hmm. and take out books about movies, and and also if there were books about television mm-hmm. and other things I was interested in, you know, at the time, uh, circuses, you know, was something I'd like to read about. It, as you were reading about those things, were you thinking about this is something I want to do with my life? I want to go work in movies. I want to. I want to go be a clown in the circus. I want to. Or was it just the curiosity about it that was capturing you? Curiosity. Uh, uh, no, I, I wouldn't have had those thoughts at all. And you know, some people said, some people asked me, did you know, did I ever try making movies? Well, yeah, for about a year, you know, I had an eight millimeter camera. Uh-huh. And a, a, a friend and I tried making a, a silent uh, horror movie. We set up a dungeon scene in my basement and had a mutant. And uh, <laughs> But it, it was unrealized, unfinished, and extremely terrible. And that's as far as I ever got with movie making. You know, I, I, I preferred watching them, reading about them, studying mm-hmm. them. And and I never thought about writing about them until the seventies. Mm-hmm. So. so as you were in the sixties, as you're starting to get more interested in this stuff, and you're watching more things, um, you're also very interested in music, and you're going to a lot of shows. Um, yeah. And uh, what it was it sixty two? I've got so many notes here in front of me. Uh, yeah. You saw Charlie Bird. In the early '60s, I'm looking for it in That's here. That's right, kind uh, of a there it is, Bossa yeah. Nova craze thing. Yeah, I mean, you're you're seeing these acts that I'm sure at the time you're like, this is a good band, not knowing years later how what an influence they would have overall on not just music but pop culture in general. Um, I, I retroactively as you look back at those things i'm sure you're you're just kind of in awe at some of the people you got to see among them who are the ones that stood out to you well the first actual band that i saw that actually had records out although they never did an album was a local band called the motions and they were you know kind of like the ventures 
Okay. And I was already a big Ventures fan, mm-hmm. and I saw them play at the uh, at the airport, um, <laughs> and that was great. I even got uh, the autograph of one of them. Oh, cool! And uh, so that was the first band I saw that actually recorded, and the first. I guess you'd say rock star that I saw was Van Morrison mm-hmm. at a teen fair. So that that was memorable. And then the first real rock and roll show that I saw, which is one of the best I've ever seen, was Soft Machine opening for the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Oh, wow. Holy cow. And that was in, that was in 1968. And I, I later saw Hendrix two more times and... Starting the next year, 69, I saw dozens and dozens of bands. I yeah. just went to everybody I could, went to other cities to see them. And uh, so before 69, it was just a few. But after mm-hmm. that, it was a lot. And, and as far as other ones that like blew me away, uh, let's see. Early shows that I saw were that were just fantastic. Um, Procol Harum, mm-hmm. uh, Little Richard. Dr. John, uh, Creedence Clearwater, um, there were a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just going through the notes that you sent me, I, it was overwhelming as I was just going there. Like these are, you know, legendary bands that I'm seeing come across here. And just the thought of being able to just go check out one of these shows would have just been amazing. Uh, even if Alice Cooper, the Stooges. Yes, the the Stooges yeah. were like, I was going to ask about the Stooges because they're, a they're just legendary, uh, but also just seeing them in their prime. What was that show like? Was it as one of their usual chaotic messes? Well, I saw them three times, and the last one was around uh, the time of uh, raw power and it was a chaotic mess yeah they didn't even finish the show <laughs> the first two times i saw them they were you know together and amazing mm-hmm. um and the most amazing show was in 1970 in cincinnati at crosley field and that's the one that was filmed for a tv special and it's the if you haven't seen the footage you've seen the photograph of iggy walking over the crowd yeah well, I was I was at that show and wow, you know it was it was amazing and Alice Cooper was at that show also. Is that the I was trying to think? Is that the one? No, it wasn't that one where he fired the bass player afterward. Never mind, it was a different show. Well, it was the same year. Yeah, same I, year, but it was a different one of the show. shows. I one of the shows I saw was one of the last ones with the original bass player. Okay, okay, yeah, they, he was he was kind of a mess at that point. Apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> so, man, I'm, I know we've been jumping around, and I'm, but it's like, like I say, just as I was going through all these, I'm like, there's too much that I want to talk about. So I was trying to kind of focus my notes here, but it's almost impossible because you've just seen and done so much. But one thing I was curious about, um, you talked about going to some, some different conventions, and like in 66... You were at the Tricon Sci-Fi Convention. What were conventions yeah. like back then? Well, fairly small and uh, fairly amazing. I mean, I, I think I I might have sent you the list of all the the famous authors that were there. Yeah, I didn't know who a lot of them were at the time. Harlan Ellison, <laughs> Harlan Ellison, yes. yeah, 
Yeah, all these major writers, and and Corey Ackerman was there. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I saw him. I met him later, and um, but the the main thing that people remember that one from is that Gene Roddenberry was there presenting the first two pilots of Star Trek before it was even on TV. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know anything about Star Trek, but I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, as far as what it was like, besides watching some movies and TV premieres, there was a dealer room, Mm -hmm. and that was a big deal to me. I mean, they, they had posters. I couldn't afford most of them. I bought one because it was damaged and it was cheap. I bought uh, uh, House on Haunted Hill. Oh, nice. Um, the Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. And, and it had been partially defaced, but I had it up on my wall for years. Uh, it's the first time I saw fanzines. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and people had um, old, you know, collectible issues. Of, like, I was really into Mad Magazine, mm-hmm. and they had, you know, mad comics there and they were already expensive you know wow. <laughs> so i didn't buy those but i looked at them and 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 there were in fact um some uh some young people you know in costumes which is the first time i ever saw that out of, outside of you know halloween yeah so it was it was a it was a big deal to me very cool and that's also, you know, that's an era that part of the '60s. Television's changing. You're getting it's getting a little hipper. Um, oh you yeah. Mentioned, you mentioned in and what you sent to me, you know, Batman, the Monkeys, Mission Impossible, the Avengers. You've got these shows yeah. coming in that uh, are are connecting with a different audience. And with all of that, you're you're not you're not just now dealing with pop culture as a medium of music and a medium of film, TV is really starting to become a vital part of life. Mm-hmm. Are you still interested in it? Because as oh, a teenager, yeah. you're kind of in and out, I know. When it well, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big boost when we got a color TV mm-hmm. around the time when pretty much everything turned color mm-hmm. on network television. And all those shows you mentioned and other ones that people still talk about debuted in 1966 yeah uh, a few right before a few right after but it was like a major point of coolness for tv yeah and so i was totally into it i didn't start kind of burn out on television and kind of avoided it until the early 70s yeah and uh i would still watch it for movies because there's a lot of great movies on tv mm-hmm. and new stations to watch them on but the TV shows just started getting repetitive and boring and too fake looking. And, yeah. You know, everything was being filmed in Los Angeles and it all looked the same. And, yep. you know, I got more into movies in theaters as I got less into television. Right. And, and you're maturing. So the movies you're going to, I'm sure are more mature. And, uh, well, yeah, you've got not only like films that are coming out that are, that are genre changing, like you mentioned Planet of the Apes in 2001. Uh, but yeah. you've also got, 
in the 60s, you had the advent of graphic horror with Herschel Gordon Lewis and some others. Oh, yeah. And um, you're also getting more into the era of, well, with Herschel Gordon Lewis again, nudie cuties and a lot of nudist films and things like that coming out. Were you hip to those at that time or did that come later well, for you? Well, those obviously were not on television. There was no right. video and I wasn't going to theaters that would be showing those kind of movies yet. So right. I... I didn't get to see any of that stuff when it was new, but I knew about it partially because they'd refer to those in like famous monsters. Mm -hmm. And even better, I discovered at one point that there was a, a series called sex in the cinema in playboy. And I managed to get my hands on every issue of playboy <laughs> that had a series part of that series. It was fascinating. I mean, they covered uh, foreign films, underground films, adults-only films, mm -hmm. you know, nudie cuties, roughies. I knew about all that stuff before I saw any of them. And I started seeing some of them just as they were dying out, as far as, like, the old adults, pre-porn adults-only movies. Yeah, like Doris, were, the uh, Doris Wishman stuff? I didn't like see that. any Doris Wishman until video. Okay. But I would see, like, box office international movies and... Uh, I saw some David Friedman movies, mm -hmm. um, Russ Meyer. Uh, the first movie I saw in a drive-in was Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Uh, that was when I was still in high school. <laughs> and and I saw some of the nudie movies, mm -hmm. which, of course, were fascinating, but they were yeah. already starting to die out. They're, they're a strange genre. Uh, it's, um, you know, you have some real thin narrative and then a camera just focuses on a, a lady posing in different positions while she's naked. Yep. Just very strange. Yep. <laughs> very strange and, and very fascinating. Absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, I think uh, Doris Wishman made some of the best ones. Oh, absolutely. Nude on the moon is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, well, all right. Yeah. It's just, it's I actually, I didn't see it till video, but I really like Orgy of the Dead. That's a, that's such a strange one. Uh, you know, you got Chris Well sitting there just kind of looking on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I find it fascinating, sexy, and hilarious. Yes. So, yeah. And then, and then found out later, you know, that Ed Wood wrote it. Mm -hmm. And bef years before I saw that movie, I had the paperback with, with uh, photos in it they did a paperback of that that's great they did holy they did. cow that's great i need to get my hands on one of those i um yeah, it, yeah ed wood in those later films um he was doing like kind of bizarre softcore there's that take it out and trade that he did uh in the very yeah. early 70s just a strange strange movie but a hell of a lot of fun to watch um mm -hmm. They, that whole era kind of turned things around, especially in underground cinema, a movie I'm particularly obsessed with, She Mob, um, from 68, kind of the, the tex, uh -huh. texploitation craze, um, you know, yeah. where they do the, again, just a, a thin narrative just to show a lot of boobs, but, yep. although that one takes it a step further. Um, there, But those kinds of movies, as they're... They're rolling around. When you looked back on them later, when you're uh, you started Psychotronic, and you're looking back at a lot of those films, how were you getting access to them? Because at that time, a lot of them weren't on videotape yet, uh, or unless well, the, they were the, in underground the, circuits. 
the I had seen some of them from various mom and pop video stores in mm-hmm. New York and maybe some small distributors, but the flood of them came with something weird video. Amen. Yeah, and they, you know, they used to send me a lot of them to review. Great. And uh, so, yeah, I, re- I reviewed a lot of nudie movies in yeah. the uh, <laughs> in the 80s, but most of them were made in the, in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, I had Lisa Petrucci on here, and, and we talked about a lot of those films and yeah. a lot of, like, the stuff that, that Mike was able to get his hands on, of course, just... Something weird video was a, a revelation for me uh, when I was I was just out of high school into college when he started that and yep. once I got my hands on the first catalog it it was life changing. Well, I I could be wrong here, but I I think that our first uh, psychotronic store in New York City was the first store outside of the Seattle area to carry his movies. Oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, we we had whole shelves of something weird movies on VHS before they even had covers. Good for you. That's great. Huh. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a national treasure and Lisa too. I, I think they're both uh, the, the work that they've done and that she continues to do is just fantastic. Um, she worked at our store. Oh, did she really? Yeah. Cool. That didn't come up when I talked to her. That's really cool. Um, I, we talked about we. The problem was I was obsessed with Bat Pussy and wanted to talk about that more than anything else. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I, you know, and it was it was really amazing when uh, they hooked up with Frank Henlotter, mm-hmm. who who I knew in New York. Yeah. And you know, he he and uh, and Johnny Legend for a while also contributed a lot to some of the amazing stuff they put out. Absolutely. Yeah. He's one I've tried to get on here, but I think he's just done with the whole interview thing. He just doesn't, he's tired really? of it and don't want to do it anymore. At least according to people I've talked to about it when I've tried to reach him, he just yeah. is not into it anymore. So, hey, if you want yeah, to put maybe. in a good word. <laughs> I, I, I will. Um, so let's, let's get to that. You've got the Psychotronic Video Store and... Uh, that was, I got to go through my notes here. What year was that? Do you know offhand? I'm honestly, it was basically, basically early nineties. Okay. Okay. And that was post magazine. There we are. Sorry. Listeners. Honestly, I can't tell you the number of notes that was sent to me. It's just great. Um, but I have to dig through them to, to find the stuff here. But, um, we started the, the actual psychotronic magazine mm -hmm. around just before we opened the store. So they were happening at the same time. Okay. And as you're doing the magazine and the store, um, what what was your motivation really for for starting all of that? That was Michael J. Weldon. I'm so happy I finally got to talk to him. I've been after him for a while. We had a great time talking. Uh, obviously, just nerding out about stuff that we love. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Part two will be coming up soon. I'd like to again thank our new partner sponsor, Can Can Cinema and Brasserie. I've learned how to say it correctly since I recorded this. Uh, they're great local nonprofit cinema here in Indianapolis. Check them out. And when you do check them out, pick up after yourselves after the movie. Take care of your servers there because this is the Walter Paisley Movie House and we do not piss on hospitality. See you next time.